Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 13, Jesus commanded us to love one another as he loved us. As Christians, it is our duty and pleasure to follow the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives, be it spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, or relationally. We ought to strive to be more like Jesus moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, all the days of our life. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 13 and look at the incredible, overwhelming example we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully I'll just love it on Jesus, spending time with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We had a a wonderful Bible study last night here at the house, and it was uh, it was terrific. It was just wonderful. It, uh, it was a blessing. It's just a just a blessing to come together and, and study the Word of God, study the Scriptures. And my wife has set up Bible study at our house. By uh, you know, we we do the Word of God first. Um, she has me teach the Word of God first, and then. Um, and then we go into worship after that and respond in worship to the teaching of the word of God. And uh, just, a, just a blessed and wonderful and beautiful time. So thank you, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> All right, today we're gonna finish up John 13. We're doing verses 31 to 38. It's been a, uh, it's been a remarkable chapter. chapter. It's been an incredible book. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the holy scriptures. We thank you, Father, that we have our Bible, the living word of God, Father. We thank you for the, the food the scriptures are for our spirit and our soul. We just thank you, Father, for the scriptures and the power of the scriptures. But Father, above all, as we always say, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a perfect death for us. We thank you today that you are alive and risen and we worship you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> John 13, 31 to 38. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. <clears throat> By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now 
but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. When he speaks of glorified here, he's speaking about his death on the cross. Really, his death on the cross is going to finish the work that he came to do. Obviously, everything is culminated in his resurrection, but in John chapter 19, Jesus says, it is finished, incomplete. All that he's done in his birth and life, you know, coming into the world, God becoming a man in Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son becoming a man, entering the world and living a perfect life on behalf of humanity was was not the completion of it. He also had to die for the for the sins of the world. And when he says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him, he's speaking about, you know, he's about to go to the cross. Remember that in John 13, we're, we're within 24 hours of his death, um, which is remarkable. The last nine chapters of the book of John are about the last day of Jesus's life on earth and his death and resurrection. Um, and so he's speaking about the cross and the glory that the cross will bring, right? In the cross, Jesus is going to, to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And in, in, in doing that, he's opening a way for all humanity to be restored to relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit. When God created the, the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, they had a, a, a perfect intimacy with him. They had relationship with him. They walked with him. <clears throat> but when Adam and Eve sinned, um, that, that relationship was fractured between humanity and God, and only in Jesus Christ, and at the cross of Jesus Christ, that relationship is restored when we as human beings put our full faith and trust and confidence in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. So when he says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him, verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Again, he's speaking about the, the glories of the cross. Normally, when we think of the cross, we think of the horrors of it or the humiliation of it. Um, but Jesus willingly went to the cross. Um, you remember, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my, my own accord and I pick it up of my own. Jesus chose to give his life um, on behalf of humanity. He chose of his own will and decision to become a human man and to enter this earth 
to live a perfect life for us, die a horrible, torturous death for us, and knowing that he would be raised from the dead and accomplish the work of redemption, pay the price for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. Um, and in this, he doesn't speak about it. You know, and again, this is remarkable. You know, doing the work that Jesus has given us to do is, is glory, right? When we look at this, it's a blessing to us. It's, it's glorifying to him. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. It's easy for us to experience the glory of God um, when, 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 when our Father has given us something to do that's, that's fun or enjoyable or, you know, something we're really good at, you know, something we're gifted at, whatever it is, right? Sitting here and doing these teachings or a preacher preaching in the pulpit, that, that's not hard. That's something we get to do. It's, it's a privilege. And, you know, uh, if we're teaching the word of God rightly and properly, it certainly is glorifying to our Father and to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's a different thing when our Heavenly Father asks us to glorify him in the, in the hard things of life, right, May? Um, it's hard, sweetheart, when, uh, that's my wife, my beautiful wife, May. Um, it's hard to glorify God when it's, you know, when it's something unpleasant, when it's something difficult, you know, when it's, in this case, it's, it's incomprehensible. Jesus is about to go to a horrible, torturous death. He's going to have spikes driven through his hands and feet. He, he is going to be tortured and whipped. He's going to have a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. And yet, he's speaking about glorifying his father in this. And, and Father, I, I ask you to forgive me because it's just, uh, there, there are no words for how poorly I, I do with this. I, I confess it, meaning to, to have the attitude that I'm bringing glory to my King Jesus, to my Savior, to my King who gave his life for me, when he asks me to go through difficulties or trials, Esther, right? Um, to have that attitude is, is just, I don't know. It's very, very hard for me. And, and Father, I'm sorry. Lord Jesus, I ask you to help us. Father, help us as your children to, to begin the process of going through trials and difficulties that you either allow us to go through or cause us to go through with, with this heart, with the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that, you know, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Help us to have the attitude that now is Jesus glorified and our Father is glorified. Help us, Holy Spirit, to glorify you and our Father in Jesus, our King and Savior, and help us to have this attitude of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.5, right, says, your attitude 
should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. When, when we go through this, you know, and we see, and then, you know, in the previous teaching, Jesus talked about how he set them an example that you should do for one another, right? When he washes their feet, he, he says, I've set you an example. And so we're to follow Jesus' example. When you read through the Gospels and you see the behavior of Jesus, you want to emulate that. I want to emulate that. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we want to examine ourselves, right, Melanie? And, uh, and just see where our attitude is like Christ and to continue in that and, and where it really isn't like Christ. Now, nowhere... No, no aspect of our lives do we do anything as well as Jesus did. But the goal of our lives should be to moment by moment, day by day, little by little, week by week, month by month, year by year, grow to be transformed, to be metamorphosized, right? To become more like Jesus, right? C.S. Lewis said it's, it's the desire of our Heavenly Father that we be little Christ, right? We're not God, but that we look like Jesus more and more and more in every aspect of our lives. And so again, he's talking about the glory of God, the glory of his father that's going to come from this horrible, incomprehensible, torturous death. And again, it, it's, it's our duty and ought to be our desire exercise that same attitude with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he allows us to go through trials and difficulties which which are which are obviously mild to say the least in comparison to what he's gone through nothing you and I will ever go through or can go through can ever compare to becoming sin taking on the sin of the world right yeah um and and again, that was the most difficult part. Although being tortured obviously was, was hard beyond comprehension, right? Literally none of us have been tortured, right, that are alive today. There are people who, who were tortured and gave their lives for Christ. But the torture that Jesus went through, being beaten and abused and tortured to within an inch of his life, and then nailed to a cross... Spikes driven through his hands and his feet. And that wasn't the hardest part for him. The hardest part was becoming sin. Experiencing the, a form of fracture. A form of the relationship with the father broken. You remember when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, he becomes sin and takes on sin. He experiences some sort of distance in the relationship with the Father and obviously with the Holy Spirit. And again, it's it's incomprehensible. Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, 
And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. I believe it's the only place he calls them my children. Um, it's a, you know, again, he's within, he's within, a, he's within 24 hours of his, of his, of his uh, crucifixion. And he says, my children, and it's, it's a, it's a tender place, right? He's, uh, he's acknowledging them as, you know, they are, it's, it's a tender thing, but it's, it's also, a, you know, uh, he, he is calling them my children. They're like, they're little children and he's going, he's been with them. He's been protecting them and, and he's going to leave them now. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Obviously, he's speaking about, you know, he's going to give his life now. He's going to be arrested and crucified. As we'll see it in John 18, he'll be arrested. And, you know, he's going to give his life for the sins of the world. We're going to see that, uh, you know, uh, Peter and the disciples don't don't understand what he's saying. They think he's, again, going on some journey or something. Um, but he says in 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, verse 35, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When he says a new command, he's not talking about new like it's never been said before. It's, you know, it's like a, uh, it's like a fresh command, right? Um, I was, I was studying and preparing for this and the, and the scholars made the point that it's obviously this is not something that's, um, you know, that's never been said before, um, you know, and I think it's Le Leviticus 19, um, you know, we're told to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Um, and so when he says a new command, it's it's like a, you know, it's like it's reinvigorated. It's like it's it's a fresh command. It's not new in the way like it's never been said. A new command I give you, love one another. Now remember, we were told, um, Jesus tells the, I believe it's in Matthew 22, that he tells the, you know, the man says, what's the most important thing I need to do? And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which comes out of Deuteronomy, I think chapter 6. And, um, and to love your neighbor as yourself, like I said, Leviticus 19, I believe. Um, these are the two most important things we can do. But now he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And so it's interesting. We're, we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Um, it's interesting when he says, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. All of us love ourselves. Now, it's important to understand this. Um, if we're depressed, if we're struggling, we may not have a good view of ourselves. We may not like ourselves. But all of us love ourselves. You can tell what you love most by what you think about most, right? Um, and so, you know, you, you may not like yourself, 
Uh, we may not have a good self-image, but every human being in the world loves themselves. Again, from the moment we wake up, our thoughts and our mind are completely and almost totally on ourselves, right? You know, when I wake up, I've said this before, I'm thinking about me and my life and my wife and my kids and, and uh, my day and my work and my shower and my teaching and my coffee. Um, I'm thinking about my breakfast, um, my fun, my hobbies, certainly thinking about my problems all the time. So you see how we're consumed with our own life? Every one of us, all 8 billion people, right? We all certainly love ourselves, right? There's a, you know, there was, there was, a, there's a statement that goes around the church. You, you know, you can't learn to love your neighbor as you, as you love yourself. Doesn't apply. You do love yourself. Okay. I'll say again, you love, you can tell what you love most by what you think about most. And if you're awake 16 hours a day, our thoughts are consumed on ourselves and our own lives in almost every way, almost those entire 16 hours serving ourselves. To love your neighbor as you love yourself is not a, is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Um, you don't even have to learn to do it. You already do love yourself. So the way you think about yourself and your life and your wife and your kids and your work and your money there's a big one, right? Um, the way you think about your job and your priorities and your needs and your boyfriend or your girlfriend, um, begin to think and be concerned about your neighbor who's ever near you right now. Begin to think about them in that way and think about their life and their struggles and, and how you can, you can serve them and bless them. Think about their joys and their fun, right? And, and again, where you can where you can be a part of of being a blessing in their life, even as you and I work all day to really make our life the life we want it to be. Let's help whoever's near us to make their life what they would want it to be, obviously in Christ. So does that make sense? That's what it means to love your neighbor as you do love yourself, right? Uh, Jesus said you do love yourself, and again. Every human being on the earth loves themselves. I'm saying this because, again, there's a lot of confusion about this statement. Oftentimes, we don't like ourselves. We don't have a good self-image. We're not, you know, we, you know, we we're, we abase ourselves, or we just think that we're worthless. Or, or, and again, none of it is true. Romans eight one says there is no condemnation for those in Christ. But that's not what Jesus is saying here, right? We do want to work on that. We want to like ourselves and love ourselves. But every human being loves themselves, right? If we're in the deepest depression, you do love yourself. We're consumed, right, and trapped. And all we think about is, is the, the struggles and the difficulties of our lives. And it's hard and it's difficult. But Jesus commands us to come out of that and, and, and love our neighbor with the kind of focus and intensity and thought and concern that we, we put into our own lives. So hopefully that makes sense. But he doesn't say love your neighbor here. He says this command I'm giving you, and again, it's, it's new in the way that it's, you know, it's fresh, right? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So again, earlier in the chapter, he says, you know, 
as I, your Lord and King, right? Um, verse 15, John 13, 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he was talking about when he humbled himself and washed their feet. And that was an in incomprehensible thing, right? John 13, 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In every aspect of our lives, Jesus is our example. We can't say that enough. So now and again, when we come down to verse 34, and he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Again, Jesus is our example. So as Jesus Christ loves us, we are to love one another. When he says one another here, he's, he's telling the disciples to love each other. So it, it means to love one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ first, and then by an extension, everyone, right? It means to love, you know, to truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ loved us. And then after that, even those who are not yet in Christ. And again, Jesus is our, is our example. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's interesting. He says a new command I give you, right? It's not a new request I give you, Stephen, right? A new command I give you. Jesus is our God, Lauren, right? He's our king. Um, he's our savior. He's our Lord. He is indeed our master. He, he's our friend. But, but he is the boss. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. In Matthew 28, you know, 18, he says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Think about that. He's the boss of everything, not only on earth, but in heaven. He says this after his resurrection. And so again, this is the night, you know, he's within 24 hours of being crucified. And he says, I'm giving you a command now. He's commanding you to do this. Love one another. Um, Oftentimes, in, you know, in the body of Christ and in the church, we, and I, and I certainly fail in this, you know, we, we don't really love one another or we make up some kind of excuse for what that love should look like. Um, and, he, and he's not talking about some kind of just emotional love here by any means. And we're going to see that, you know, Peter's about to tell him out of his emotion how much he loves Jesus and he's going to lay his life down for him, but he, but he can't do it. You know, and ultimately he's going to fail in that. Um, one of the scholars made a good point that, uh, you know, it's not until Jesus gives his life for Peter that Peter can give his life for Jesus. And we'll talk about that here in a minute when we're finishing up. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's good stuff. Um, it's a good word. Um so again, we, we want to love one another in the body of Christ. We want to be building one another up. We want to be encouraging one another. Um, and again, we're, we're, we're a fractured church. I've said this before. There's somewhere around 1,100 different denominations of Christ, again, which is ridiculous because, again, we can't get along. We all have one Bible. We have the same Bible. Uh, we ought to be able to have unity in the scriptures, right? And we ought to be delighted when we see the scriptures being taught, the word of God being taught, and Jesus being magnified, 
wherever that's happening, that ought to be our joy. But um, but we have not done well in this. Okay. And again, it's it's a place of uh, it's it's a place of repentance, certainly for me, Father. And I ask you to forgive me. And Father, I just ask you to help us as a body of Christ to love one another as you commanded us. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you if you love one another. And so, th- there ought to be a love amongst us as believers in Jesus Christ. There ought to be a love amongst us in church leadership, right? Um, and and again, there, there is there is there is far more discord than there is love. Now, listen, what, what I'm what I'm uh, I'm not saying that we don't need to bring correction when you know when heresy comes about. I'm not saying you know I'm not saying we don't need to correct bad teaching. Okay, but but there needs it needs to begin with love. And again, we we really do not have that. We do love the people often in our ministries or in our churches. But as a whole, as as believers in churches. We we do need to have a, a greater love more and more. We do want to sharpen one another, um, but there is too much infighting in the in the body of Christ. And as I said, it is a balance because we certainly want to, we're not going to compromise truth. It's not going to be some kind of, um, you know, like I said, just just emotional or sticky kind of, you know, um, you know, surface love. But um, but this is how we're to be recognized as disciples, as disciplined followers of Jesus Christ, that we do show love a concern for one another. And it's a, uh, and like I said, it's an area, it's an immense area of improvement for us. Um, it's an opportunity, certainly. And, and Lord, again, Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus doesn't answer him. Jesus replied, he answers, but he doesn't tell him, Peter, I'm going to die on the cross. Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So, you know, Peter and the disciples think undoubtedly, they think he's going on some journey somewhere, um, but he's going to die on the cross. And Jesus tells them that, you know, you, you cannot follow me now into death, but later, you know, you yourself will follow me into death. Um, as, as will all of us, unless Jesus comes and Lord Jesus, we pray, come, I pray Jesus comes before this teaching ends. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Um, and again, Peter will follow Jesus, you know, um, into death. You know, some, we don't know how many years it is, could be 20, 30 years later. Um, he'll follow him into death. Um, I don't know. I think we have an estimation. Scholars have an estimation. And um, history tells us that Peter was himself crucified, but he was crucified upside down. He asked to be crucified upside down, um, not wanting or desiring in any way to be crucified the way his Lord was. Um, And so later, Peter did follow Jesus into death years and years down the road. 
But when Jesus says this to him, verse 37, Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And, and, and Peter means it when he says it. But Peter is not saying it out of a steadfast knowing. In that moment, undoubtedly he would have. Um, if somebody burst into the room or something. But this, this again, um, we don't know ourselves as well as we think, right? Uh, we tend to believe that we would do these amazing things for Jesus. Um, and as we're going to see, Jesus knows, uh, you know, what Peter will and will not do. And certainly he knows what's in our hearts and what we will do and what we won't do. And he knows the state of our devotion. But when Peter makes this statement, it's a statement based on, again, a, a heightened emotion. In the moment, you know, it's a heightened emotion. Now, it's, it's interesting. Judas betrays Jesus and Peter denies him, right? Um, but but there's, a, there's an immense difference. Peter truly believes that he will do this. He's wrong. He doesn't know himself. Um, he doesn't understand that he's actually capable of denying Jesus, as we all are, right? We ought not boast about what we think we can do all these great things for Jesus, because the Lord has a way of showing us that we're really not all that we think we are. Um, wow, Lord, you know, thank you for your mercy on our lives. Um, but Peter's, Peter's sincere, although foolish. You know, he's he's out of his emotion. He believes what he's saying. Judas premeditatedly, right? He he was premeditated in his utter betrayal of Jesus, and so it, you know, it's. Peter actually believed what he was saying, um, although it wasn't right. Judas knew what he was doing. He knew that he had betrayed Jesus. And, and as we said last time, it's something that, that was a series of choices in his life, undoubtedly for years, built up to this moment. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So again, Peter makes this bold statement. Um, that he's going to lay down his life for Jesus. Um, and in verse 38, then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Wow. Um, so you notice that, as I'll say it again, Jesus knows the state of Peter's heart. Peter, in a, you know, in just a time of emotional, even sincere belief that he'll lay his life down for Jesus. But Jesus corrects him and says, you know, no, you won't. And when Peter is put into a, a set of circumstances, not many hours from now, even before the rooster crows, it says, you will disown me three times. Um, and, you know, and that surely does come to pass, as we'll see, right? Um, 
And so, again, we can see that Jesus, Jesus knows the true and genuine condition of our devotion to him. Right, Scott? He knows, um, you know, what we will do and what we won't do. And so we, we want to tread lightly in speaking about, you know, all the great things we're going to do for Jesus. Right? Jesus said, let your yes be yes and no, no. Right. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Anything else comes from the evil one. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Right. Um, and, you know, we could say we hope, you know, that we'll have the courage and we and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us the courage to 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 serve Jesus or lay down our lives for Jesus or do whatever Jesus would have us to do. But again, we, we want to tread lightly because we really don't know. We, we, have a, we have a feeling of what our devotion for Jesus is, but we really don't know it. And again, we're talking about now Simon Peter, right? Um, one, of the, you know, one of the greatest men to ever follow Jesus. And yet he doesn't, he doesn't understand his own frailty. Frail, frailty. And... Um, you know that's 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 a that's a point of of humility for us to look into our own lives and and to understand that that we we are we are frail and we are subject to failure and we need to rely on Jesus to help us now again remember you know you know Peter Peter will become bold Peter will be arrested and we're going to see a new Peter um, and so, as I said, I, I really like the point that that scholar made that, you know, before Jesus dies, Peter cannot give his life for Jesus, right? It's after Jesus dies and is raised from the dead and comes to live in Peter and the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live in Peter, that now he will go on to be the man that Jesus has called him to be. And, uh, and ultimately, he, he will give his life in service to the gospel and to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for this, this incredible chapter of John 13. We thank you for your blessing and, and allowing us to go through it and meditate on it and teach it, Lord. But Father, again, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and, and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, for, for living a life for us, living a perfect life for us, coming into this world for us, dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you are indeed alive and risen today. And we worship you, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts. Seal it to our hearts and draw all men and women, we pray, unto Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we love you and we bless you today and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. If you haven't given your life to Jesus today, do so now. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us, right? You don't just puppet words, but it's when you call out of Jesus, knowing your hopelessness, your helplessness, your desperation, right? Romans 3.23 says that every human being is sinful and falls short of God's holy standard. And without Jesus, only hell awaits. The scripture is clear. 
In John 14, 6, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ today, you can do so now. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. You simply humble yourself before Jesus and call out to him and, and pray, Lord Jesus, I, I, I know that I'm a sinful person. And Jesus, I know I cannot save myself. I indeed am hopeless and helpless and desperate. But I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen today. And I worship you, my Lord and Savior. And I do ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and be the Lord in my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. That's how you become a Christian. Now again, it's not just puppeting those words. It's the sincerity and the, and the genuineness of your heart, knowing your need of Christ and throwing yourself at the foot of the cross, at the foot of Jesus and placing your full trust and reliance and confidence in him and and in doing so, you become a Christian. God the Father becomes your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior and Master and King. The Holy Spirit becomes your guide, your counselor, your comforter, and you're, and you're part of the family of God. So, Father, we thank you again for your mercy. We commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.